Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of The Search. My name is Saud Al-Zaid. For today's episode, I figured we'd talk about something a little bit more surgical, seeing as that's my background. Um, and I like to talk about sternotomies, especially emergency room sternotomies. Now, quick disclaimer, this is not my video. I wish I had a photographer that was this good around. Uh, I'm not a, a cardiothoracic surgeon, I'm a trauma surgeon. And so, therefore, my techniques and my approach to a sternotomy is probably completely different from a cardiac surgeon's. Uh, it's easy to talk about these things. It's harder to decide at the time, and it's hardest to commit to it early, I find. And so, therefore, I'd encourage everybody to go through the mental exercise of, of trying to decide what your cutoff criteria are for taking somebody for a sternotomy in terms of a pericardial window on fast exam, or patient's hemodynamic status or trajectory of the injury itself. And bear in mind that surviving this is a team effort. And by surviving this, I mean you surviving the stress of it and your patient surviving uh, the event itself. It requires the, the team to work together in unison. And so therefore, I'd encourage everybody involved to sort of be well-coordinated and to be patient with each other when things like this are happening. So what are the indications? For the most part, somebody being shot in the chest, no duh. Uh, penetrating anterior box injuries, um, transmediastinal injuries, torso and thoracic abdominal injuries, and very rarely blunt traumas. Remember, this is not an emergency room sternotomy. There is no such thing as an emergency room sternotomy. The fact of the matter is, the only type of emergency room chest incision that you should be doing is a left-sided thoracotomy, and if you see blood around the heart, then chances are you should extend to a semi-clamshell or a full-on clamshell. When you look at these types of injuries, those that make it to the OR end up with a sternotomy, for the most part, end up with ventricular tears, and I'll get to why that's important a little bit later. Um, about 70% of the patients that you will see will have some tear of the left or the right ventricle, uh, with approximately 5% involving the coronary arteries. Um, this both reflects how fatal some of these injuries are, such as thoracic aortic arch injuries and uh, inferior vena cable or superior vena cable injuries, and also reflect the fact that um, some of these injuries occur over high pressure areas and probably lead to tamponade, uh, which may be more reversible than active hemorrhage into the chest. Um, I encourage everybody to uh, read uh, Michael Furstenberg's uh, chapter on cardiac trauma in the Principle and Practice of Cardiothoracic Surgery. I've added the link to the footnotes of this episode as well. Uh, it's free and it's open access, so you might as well use it. So in terms of prep, first thing first, try and put an ephemeral line. Do not go for a line up in the neck or the chest because you don't know where the injury is. You're doing a sternotomy for an injury in the chest. Whatever blood that you're going to be pumping in is probably going to end up coming out anyways. I have two peripheral IVs on the, uh, the outside and uh, prep blood products, antibiotics, and tetanus while in the trauma bay and waiting for your OR to happen. Start putting in your tube, start intubating your patient, putting in your Foley's catheter, etc. Get a chest x-ray if you can, just to make sure that you don't need a chest tube on the way up there. And do a fast exam. Now, I know that technically fasts are only for hemodynamically unstable patients, but if your stable patient has a GSW to the epigastric area, you know that you're going in for a sternotomy because you can see the heart actively bleeding under there and your fast shows free fluid in the belly. 
then chances are you're going to do something thoracoabdominal, either a sternotomy and a laparotomy to explore the abdomen without any bowel injury, or something of that nature. So I personally find that a fast exam in the context of thoracoabdominal penetrating trauma may be of some yield in deciding whether or not to go for the abdomen as well as the chest. But that's just my two cents, and it's certainly not evidence-based. Not many guidelines support it at this point. While you're in the OR, make sure that your nurses know to, to use a radiolucent x-ray compatible or a CR compatible Jackson table. Uh, this will help you out a lot if you're trying to do intraoperative angiograms like uh, we do at uh, one of the centers I trained in at McGill at the David Mulder Trauma Center. Uh, and in other centers, uh, I tend to use it to try and find the bullet sometimes. Check your equipment. Have your nurses make your pledgets, your sutures, and your clips early. Uh, right now, I work at Mubarak Kabir Hospital in Kuwait. It's a phenomenal center to work in. Uh, very good people. But we're not very good at cardiac surgery, and so therefore, I tend to ask them to load up their pledgets early, and I tell them to have a 6-0 on a needle with a pledget on top, um, ready to go right off the bat on that needle holder. I also ask them to have a, a 3-0 on a needle as well, and I make sure that they're both uh, proline as opposed to Vicryl or PDS. In fact, strike that. Use PDS for everything from now on moving forward. Uh, check what vascular clamps that you have available. Make sure they have different sizes, uh, and uh, ask your perfusionist to be on standby. Make sure you have a cell saver, and find out who and what is your backup. So if you like to use Foley catheters, have them available to occlude big holes in the ventricle. If you need a second pair of hands, make sure that they've done this before or can help you out in an adequate manner. Um, like I said, making the decision to do it is hard. Deciding who's going to help you out with it is probably even harder. Communicate with your anesthetist, communicate with whoever's close by and find out who has the most experience. You want all hands on deck for this. Uh, prep from under the mandible uh, to the mid-thigh. I use Providine and the reason why I prep from under the mandible to the mid-thigh is because you never know when you need to extend into the neck to grab a vein or extend into the thigh to grab a vein, for example, or when you have to do a thoracoabdominal incision throughout an abdominal pathology while your patient's still crashing. Uh, make sure that the people who are helping you are clear on the plan. I mentioned this earlier, but make sure that that's true. Communicate with your anesthetist and have someone start nagging the ICU pretty early. These patients kind of have the writing on the wall and that you know for a fact that they're not going to be a quick extubation. You know that you want to monitor the hemodynamics a little bit, even if you're in a center in which they can extubate them early. And um, it's just a safe thing to do for these patients until you, you know that they're completely quote-unquote stable. So now, without further ado, here's the video. Um, I got it off of Dr. Suprasang Tangamisi's uh, YouTube channel. He has a whole bunch of phenomenal videos up there, and I encourage everybody to uh, subscribe. So it's a cardiac injury, uh, as you can clearly see. Uh, it's a 30-year-old uh, man with a uh, knife to the chest. And uh, what I really like about his videos is that he goes through things in detail and has the complete history there. And as you can see, based on the uh, uh, area of the injury uh, in relation to the nipple itself, this is probably an anterior box injury, which is typical for pericardial injuries. Um, they don't have the FAST on board, but you have a chest x-ray that shows you that there's no clear pneumothorax there, and the patient's intubated prior. Now, the first thing that you'll notice is, 
as opposed to with quote-unquote elective or cardiac surgeon sternotomies, uh, trauma sternotomies start with a subxiphoid window. And the reason is to confirm the reason why you're there, i.e. that your echocardiogram slash fast ultrasound pericardial window definitely has blood in it. And two, it's to decompress any tamponade that you have while you open the chest. It's just a quicker way to decompress the tamponade. Now, everybody's going to ask why we don't do pericardiocentesis. It's because the needle will clot. If you have fresh blood and you're trying to drain it out after a stab wound, the needle will clot. It will occlude. I'm pretty sure it will occlude. It has happened to me more than once. It will continue to happen to you. If you continue to try and do pericardiocentesis like they do in the movies, get them to the OR and do a subxiphoid window. If in doubt, in fact, get them to the OR and do a subxiphoid window. If it makes sense to do it, just do it. It's the right thing to do. It's a fairly low morbidity situation. And as you can see, all it is is getting to that sub-Q fat and then just getting under that xiphoid. Now, as you can see, all of his cautery is extremely meticulous and all of his hemostasis is extremely meticulous. It's because you really want to make sure you can target the area and confirm that there's blood there. It makes no sense to open up the pericardium and then all of a sudden instead of getting uh, the blood from the pericardium you're getting blood from the outside in so there you go he just opened the pericardium and you can see that it's positive with pulsatile bleeding coming from in there the first thing that he does is open up the pericardium further to release any tamponade and to suction out a little bit to gain back some cardiac output and i don't know if you can see this but the contractility is a little bit better there And it's even better now that he's drained all the blood there. The fact that there's ongoing bleeding tells you that you, the patient probably has a significant mechanism of injury with a fair percentage of the cardiac output coming out. So once the, uh, the tamponade is relieved, the sternotomy is extended. And he skipped over a couple of steps, but the gist of it is you want to cut down to bone, free up the... Um, uh, substernal area completely and then uh, use your saw to get into the chest once you do you need two people to spread on either side and it takes a fair amount of force to do it and once you spread you put two sponges in place and you use your um, retractor to open up the chest further uh, and as you can see he opens up the pericardium and extends his subxiphoid window anteriorly while making sure that he avoids uh, any major vessels or vascular tissues in the subareolar area and the epipericardial area. Um, upon entry into the uh, pericardial cavity, there's a big clot in the dependent area. This is not atypical. In fact, it takes a fair amount of blood to induce physiological tamponade. And that's why trauma surgeons tend to not wait for tamponade to occur and tend to do their subxiphoid windows a little bit early. As you can see, he's identified the right ventricular injury. And he's using a 6-oproline to just take a stitch in there. Now, while he's doing that, his assistant is suctioning all the blood for him. And you can see that he's taking a mattress suture. Now, there are various other options, such as pledgeted or sutures uh, with a single pledgeted side. A mattress suture with a double pledgeted side and all these principal techniques are to just protect in case uh, you injure a coronary 
or cause tissue ischemia or in fact tear through some of the muscle, especially in friable cardiac tissue in the elderly. And as you can see, he's used a pledge it to buttress his suture, and he's putting in just the right amount of tension. The reason why they keep irrigating that area is to make it easy for him to tie the proline. Proline is notoriously hard and sticky to use. Once that is done, as you can see, there are uh, two drains sighted. I personally tend to put one drain at the base and one drain uh, on the uh, medial aspect of the uh, left ventricle. Uh, but different people do different things and I leave a nice wide gap in the uh, pericardium as I'm closing it. In fact, sometimes I don't even close it if it's a damage control situation because there's so much edema in the chest, I just close the chest itself. All it takes is a couple of uh, sutures uh, with a running vicral. And then um, in this case, he's decided to cite another tube on top in the um, epipericardial area and the uh, anterior mediastinum. Personally, I don't tend to do that. And uh, the closure of sternotomy depends on how much edema is there. Uh, there are some cases when I come back and close the uh, sternum after a while and plate it. But in most cases, I tend to try and close it on the same day. And it's just a couple of sternal wires that you use to, to close it and tighten it down. Hopefully, I'll show you one of my other videos uh, just to give you an idea of it, one that I've actually done. So, the take-home message here is, find indications early, try not to wing it, think about the anatomy and what options you have in front of you, and remember, once your patient's extubated, it's probably one of the most fulfilling things you fear. So, um, decide and decide early, I guess, and good luck. Uh, hopefully, I'll have a better video for you, although I don't think I can beat this one. Everybody should subscribe to his channel as opposed to mine because he actually knows what he's doing most days. Um, this is Saud Al-Zaid. Thank you for listening. And uh, I guess that's it. And thank you for the great comments too.